Hi, I'm Akhilara. And I'm Rohan Nahar. Welcome to The Long Take. Or should we call it Take Long The? Because we're discussing Tenet today. Uh, Nolan's latest movie that was supposed to save cinema. Uh, but obviously it did not because people were scared to go. And other reasons which we'll discuss on this podcast. What do you make of the movie? Ooh. So I think the headline that I went with when I wrote the review was that it's both underwhelming and overwhelming. And I think that kind of sums up my feelings about this movie. Hmm. It's absolutely overwhelming in terms of what it throws at you. Yeah. The sheer amount of plot. But... Uh, also underwhelming because uh, it doesn't quite live up to the expectations. Yeah, I was surprised on the overwhelming aspect. Like, I mean, the amount of story or like, you know, the, not just story, but amount of events at least hmm. that the movie packs. Like, it's so like, almost like rushed, right? It's like, I mean, it's not really rushed in the sense that, you know, you can't like catch up with it. But like, it's the rush and like, it's packing in so many happening. Right? Literally every moment is like, oh, done, done, done. Like, Mumbai, now Estonia, now like Pompeii, now this. I'm just like, okay, like what? Like this movie clearly has a lot to like at least show, bef- like, in, even if it doesn't have a lot to say sometimes. Huh, you know what the thing is? I don't think it's on like a, on a gradation like scale. I don't think it has more plot than any other Nolan movie. I mean, obviously it has more plot than Dunkirk, but any comparable Nolan movie. Right. The, the problem is that what it, it's very inelegant in the manner in which it conveys its information. And that becomes overwhelming. Uh, like, I always keep going back to like Inception. Inception is like a perfect movie in terms of how well it introduces the audience to its world. Yeah, I think like Inception and like, you know, before Dark Knight, like that was like Nolan's high point, right? But I'll get let you get back to what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. So Inception is... is ideal way to kind of write movies like this in the sense that you are fully on board with the mechanics of the world. Yeah. Because it's been so effectively conveyed to you. That's done through now Elliot Page's character, right? Yes. It's done through uh, his character. That's the audience surrogate so that it helps us easily enter that world. Yeah. Hmm. Which works. It's like, it's not, uh, it's, it's clumsy. It's a clumsy way of doing things, but it works. It's fine. Whereas this time you're kind of, it felt like I was being reprimanded almost by Nolan like how dare you not keep up with me you know which is in a way it's good because he has like high expectations of his audience like he expects them to kind of you know be on his level yeah I think in that sense like it's probably like not very rewarding as you're saying the first time but I think it sort of in a way rewards multiple viewings then because you're like oh wait I like I was not able to catch up the first time. But, but do, like, you, do you want I saw, to? So the second, second time, I I was I, I was like, okay, now I'm like, I can actually focus. Now that I know the plot, hmm. now that I don't care about the surprises and the twist in that side, I can now focus on, you know, how this mechanic works more. But the see, the crucial difference for me is that after watching, in, I watched Inception four times in the theaters. Hmm. Okay. Because that's a movie that made me want to go back and rediscover things and discover new things. Okay. That was the sense I got. It was kind of encouraging you to go back and watch it again this one i'm like can i put myself through that again it's exhausting like i don't want to write now so i think that for, i don't know for you but for me the reason is different like see i still want to rewatch this as i want to rewatch inception and i, I did sec- watch it the second time before we recorded this but i think the disconnect is that i wouldn't do it as many times as i, I would do like inception or dark knight as another level because I think that what ha- the problem is of the emotional disconnect for me, right? I I don't really have an emotional investment in the protagonist. Like he's literally not even given a name, forget like given like a background or a connect. Like in Inception, I think the pull is that 
his family, right? He wants to get back to his kids. And that keeps us. And the, the fact that his guilt over like killing his wife. So those kind of things really root you in the story and you want to like know what happened to this character and why he's sort of stuck in this rut. But here it's like just like this guy is just an enabler, right? He's just a catalyst for this plan. And literally, like, even, like, Dimple Kapata's character even says that during the movie, right? She, she's like, oh, you're not the protagonist, you are a protagonist. It bang on. That's what I also absorbed. Uh, Inception has the the the, the plot about Cobb wanting to return to his kids. Yeah. Uh, Interstellar has the father-daughter relationship, you know, at the center. Yeah. Uh, Dunkirk is very emotional in a nationalistic way. Uh, but uh, this one is just cold, you know. And I see, I get the sense, I, I get the sense that he's trying to emulate one of those... Uh, Cold War thrillers yeah which is I, and like not just in terms of like plot but also in terms of tone because they were very like the movie that kept coming to my mind while watching this was Thomas Alfredson uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy which is a movie I did not understand hmm. I tried watching it again I do not understand even one minute of that movie <laughs> and it's impossible to, I mean obviously it's people love, love that movie like a lot of people really like that movie it got Oldman his Oscar nomination whatever but I didn't understand the movie and I didn't understand Tenet. I, because it, I just never cracked it. And I think if you do not submit to yourself uh, within the opening few minutes, then you're at sea, basically, in this movie. Because it just moves so fast. It leaves you behind. Yeah, I think, but I think that's very, very intentional, right? As you spoke earlier, is that Lonel, I think, wants you to be catching up. Like, he wants you to be like, oh, I will give you questions and questions and questions. Mm. And then the answer for everything will come. Like, some answers will come half an hour later. Some answers will come an hour later. And then some answers will come right at the end, right? So, in a way, that movie structured like he he the guy literally like in, loves like non-linear structures right and even though this movie actually in a way is linear in the sense that because his time inversion concept is in a way different way but if you just look at the plot it's in a linear fashion right the story just proceeds in that sort of fashion he's confusing us by showing things that we don't understand at the beginning right we just like okay what is this nuclear water thing what is this opera thing and then those answers are uh, literally answered like two hours later right hmm. so that he literally wants us to be catching up i think the problem is um, which you were talking about earlier and I want to get back to that mechanic thing so with Inception once we understand the mechanic right and it's understood because Elliot Page's character is having fun with it right like she uh, folds the city whatever like, those, makes like mirrors in Paris and then because we that is done so clearly after that point in Inception right I could enjoy the mechanic so when things like when they you know they would kick and go from different levels of dreams or you know the rotating elevator you know fight with joseph gordon lewitt things like that i could enjoy because now i knew how this world functioned right and i could you know immerse myself in it but the problem here for me was because i was always like catching up with the mechanic and its possibilities right because its possibilities are endless and like the main twist is given to us i think an hour and a half the final hour of the movie right the it's literally an hour and a half when he steps through that um, turnstile turnstile and goes to the other side right where things are now opposite mm. he is inverted and the world is not uh, that comes literally at the final of the hour of the movie so that is the movie's biggest twist and it comes so late and you're like oh wait now the entire movie is different like everything we've been accustomed to like following doesn't even apply in this world anymore now there are even more different rules applying here so because I'm always like sort of catching up to new rules and new rules and their applications and how they function I was never able to enjoy the time invasion mechanic the way I enjoyed the dream mechanic in Inception yes but did you understand uh, 
inverse entropy i don't think i still understand fully right because that's the thing because i'm i don't understand fully i'm not able to enjoy it right because there are moments like the <laughs> moment like you know when they're when they're sort of the blue team is stuck in standing in a place where they're gonna get trapped and for a second you it doesn't click to you but it clicks the first to the protagonist and then you're like oh wait that's why he's afraid because they're gonna get trapped behind that wall that and stuff like that like it doesn't come naturally right like you're still always catching up to the movie always till the end yeah that's, that's that's the point i'm trying to make like he will pause the movie and literally have one that scientist character come and explain inverse entropy to the protagonist and i'm like do i really need like a lecture in the middle of this movie just show me right <laughs> just show me and the problem with this movie tenet no but they are in, aren't they in a way showing it you're, you're talking about the clemens poesy thing right correct they are but what i'm saying is that even the show don't tell concept is not done very effectively here because visually it's not very coherent you know right especially towards that sand pit action climax which is just weird. it looks like it's out of a video game and makes me feel like nolan plays call of duty or something it's weird <laughs> and obviously it comes across as a studio note almost that warner brothers gave him that listen color code these people like we are totally lost you need to have some sort of like easy access into this yeah world right now because it does not make sense because very see there are very few shots in which you actually see the scope of the battlefield and you see like half the team like half the half the soldiers are moving in in moving backwards and yeah, half the soldiers mostly are moving mostly you all you see is just like random running which like i yes. think in a way goes back to Like actually, I feel like Tenet is much better than most Nolan movies in terms of action. But this battle you're talking about, yeah, that it's not it's not a battle you can follow. It's not meant to be followed. Even I feel it's so confusing. It doesn't matter. Like he could have thrown anything in that battle, and I would have been. It wouldn't have made any difference. I would have been like, okay, this yeah. Is- and it doesn't uh, until they don't get into the uh, you know, in uh, underground section. Nothing really matters. It doesn't. And and you know those little moments where it's hinted that Neil knows something. uh that he isn't letting on yeah. those moments are very uh like they came across as very uh simplistic almost maybe because our brains are already attuned to this level where we are like paying extra attention and we're trying to focus extra hard and everything seems very complicated that those things they seem those neil elements particularly when he's talking about diet coke and like uh, you know stuff like that it comes across almost like a harry potter and prisoner of azkaban uh, level uh, time travel mechanics <laughs> which is which is simple but it works right you under, you follow the plot of prisoner of azkaban yeah. uh but i don't know about this one It felt like he's in his head. He's built it up into something that is more grand than what you actually see on screen, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So I mean, all this sort of in our discussions sort of make me wonder: like, has Nolan like basically gone too far? Like, he's chosen a concept so wild and so out of the box that basically it's impossible almost to like you know put it on film and let people enjoy it. Oh yes, this is this is primer. It is primer on like a eight. Thousand times larger budget. Yeah, it's impossible to follow. It's just sci- it's a science lecture. It's him geeking about uh, geeking out about things, and you know it's it's not like you don't understand the passion that he has for this stuff. Yeah, you know it's not like that doesn't come across. You admire that. You're like, oh, okay, like this is something that you feel passionately about, and you're trying to like portray it in a in a way that does justice to these ideas.
ideas which is good you know i mean yeah of of everyone in hollywood i think if nolan is the one who's most capable of at least bringing it to this level i think if any other director tried it they would like be even further off in terms of explaining it but you know what the thing see after interstellar the overall feeling that i got after interstellar was hmm noble failure it's a movie that doesn't come together fully but like it's always engaging like you're always i did not like interstellar like even the the emotional connect again like the same way i mean hmm. at least it it had one this didn't doesn't even try but it tried one and I, it did not work for me at all with this one no no with interstellar the emotional connect between the far daughter that does did not work for me no oh, okay i mean i was engaged with interstellar i thought it didn't uh, come together in the end but i was it was a good movie with a uh, astounding score and uh, tremendous visual i actually consider like nolan's period after inception like dark and rises hmm. and then interstellar to be his like lowest points and then he got back to form with dunkirk dunkirk is that's how i see it dunkirk is i think what top 3 nolans Dunkirk is crazy good. Yeah, I guess Prestige, Dark Knight, and Dunkirk. Yeah, I could. No, do mine would be Inception, that, yeah. Dunkirk, Dark Knight. Yeah, I think that that would be my problem. Like you, when you mentioned Dunkirk, I was like, I feel like I'm missing something. So yeah, I mean, I would have a battle putting Inception or Dunkirk in top three. So yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's a tough one. This is a guy who's produced like really good stuff. um throughout his career so it's not going to be easy to do top three with him. Tenet is definitely on the bottom, right? Like this is like following Tenet. is where i'm putting this one at yeah it's like i mean the only movie no no movie i haven't seen which i haven't heard good reviews about is insomnia so that i think is going to be probably at the bottom and then following there and then interstellar and dark and rises actually is in the top bottom three as well for me and then after that yeah so so I'm basically in the middle this is not no no at his peak not no no at his worst it's like i mean because yeah, there is the stuff to admire right the action is like i mean especially that opening yeah, that's uh, what opening. i want to get back when you were mentioning especially even talking about nolan's passion i was like that's like what my comes to my mind right these like the it's like the how tom cruise has passion for you know running and uh, basically putting his life at risk and uh, following covid protocols uh, and that which i like that i know we almost like admire this like rant but we we'll talk about that later <laughs> um yeah the same way like tom cruise has his, like passion for like risking his life i think don't has this passion like for like making sure that every action scene is like actually like you know produced and taken like real and not like you know and no cgi like as much as he can and it just it's literally gone to another level this time like buying a boeing 747 or 737 i don't know which one that's that's insane bonkers you know a part of me almost wanted him to crash a plane from the sky <laughs> like that like that to me is like the pinnacle of what could have been achieved with a boeing 737 in your arsenal you know just, <laughs> just i mean it looks cool no, i think the problem was with that would be like you know ma- managing airspace and all like you'll have to go very remote for that and you, if you go remote then you can't do buildings yeah and then you probably have to buy like land also to kind of ravage yeah like the the building you which you the basically you blew up the jet you blew up i mean this is this is insane like to even think of this and then to get the go ahead from producers to do this is just like wait you will gonna buy a jumbo jet and then crash it into a building for real like what it's almost as if nolan is the tom hardy character from inception right like just dream a little bit <laughs> He's like yeah. he, that's how, that's his persona in like pitch meetings at Warner Brothers. Like, uh, excuse yeah. me, and, and <laughs> the Boeing one is like impressive on a scale level, and then the other scenes are just impressive on like an execution level, right? Because of the time illusion concept, even though we don't understand it, the action. 
action scenes are just wild i mean the i mean the that one looks basically normal i mean the one that they do even that one is not easy to do or uh, the one where they you know wedge the trucks with like four different types of trucks that one that was like a logistical nightmare to like have blocked like the estonian highway for like a no weeks and weeks but to even like pull off the one where their cars are going some cars are going backwards and some cars are going forward that i'm sure that was not easy there was no way that was easy yes it's it's an interesting action scene to watch in terms of just the mechanics and the choreography of those cars yeah although i will say that it looks a little flat visually and that might be only because they had like maximum daylight hours to shoot those scenes in like it would have looked much better if they shortened like maybe later in the day or maybe like golden hour like that would just be insane like imagine blocking out 7 weeks because you need like golden hour and it's just like one hour every day yeah but i guess they wanted maximum sunlight so they had to like shoot it in the most yeah they had boring to like, time yeah. of the day visually so i think yeah. that is an issue but it's fine it's fine uh, oh you get those kind of sequences from like dark night rises where where he enters a tunnel in the daytime and he emerges out of the tunnel at night and he's just like Wait, what happened? How long was that tunnel? Or they could just use some sort of like Fincher CGI and like paint the skies. Like he does that a lot. Yeah, when you mention CGI, you'll get a thappad from Nolan, right? That's the problem. You can't do sky replacement with Nolan movies. Yeah, he won't allow it. That's the thing with Nolan, right? He's so beholden to his own like. laws at this point they've become yeah. that it feels like he's and that's the sort of person he is as well right he's like nahi 70 mm no imax no theaters where the rest of the world is like bro just catch up you know <laughs> even scorsese yeah, I mean, is this, like this, it's this, just I mean, he literally would make the entire movie on imax if he could the only problem is the imax cameras are so loud he can't record the, the dialogue scenes which is why we have these constant like aspect ratio shift in the movie right every like scene it's like oh it's a so you know it's a dialogue scene if the aspect ratio is suddenly like less tall and you're like oh koi baat karne wala hai ab if the aspect ratio is like t- it's, it's filling the entire screen you're like cool now it's going to be an action scene <laughs> you can tell what's coming basically <laughs> yeah and i mean abhi abhi to it's more frequent like i remember watching the dark knight rises where he shot there was this huge thing right oh my like he first were in dark knight where there was 8 minutes of imax then he had like 30 minutes in dark knight rises and i remember i think yeah, i was 30 yeah yeah and then then dunker was i think the first movie where he was like almost the entire movie is imax yeah imagine uh, getting beaten by clint eastwood on that front i, <laughs> I remember thinking like clint eastwood was the first guy to have shot an entire movie on imax not nolan i don't know if eastwood did film or digital i think he did digital yeah cuz that way that's the thing right even avengers end game mm. is all imax but then it's imax digital and then If you mention digital in front of the Nolan, you'll again get a thappad. <laughs> like, what is digital? Film is film. Film can't be digital. He's such an uncle, man. He's such an uncle, and like, this is such an uncle. Like, I, I like he comes across as this guy who like read George Smiley's novels, and like, obviously, the Bond influence is there, right? Especially with like the pre-credit yeah. pre-credit sequence. And Bond influence is always gonna be there. Like, literally, I think he's he's brought up on those movies, and this is his literally way of making Bond because they won't give him Bond or whatever, or he he doesn't want Bond. because it's too simplistic for him with the warner brothers cutty situation happening i won't be surprised if he like does he reboots bond <laughs> Yeah, but that's the thing. Right? I feel like Bond is too simplistic for him, right? Like after having seen these kind of movies, I'm like, he will hate Bond. He's like, oh my god, I have to do a normal story where he's a human and there's no <laughs> sci-fi. No, thank you. Yeah. Um. Uh, what else? Mumbai. Do you want to talk about Mumbai? Yeah. Let's. I guess close out with Mumbai. Um. So it's basically a extended cameo, right, for the city. It's not like. 
I mean, they were here for five days, so I wasn't expecting much, honestly. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's what you get for five days of shooting. You get a couple of scenes. In true Noyon fashion, apparently they built a set as backup, which they never used. Yeah, and also like they wouldn't want to go with this initial building, which they actually went with. Uh, they wanted to do with Antilla, uh, but what <laughs> secure. Security was too much of an in- concern, so they couldn't do Antilla. Yeah, this one looks uh, like slightly ordinary. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's fine. Dimple Kapadia is in it as like a exposition yeah, I device. Think she, yeah, that, but that's basic. That's not even her fault, right? That's just like Nolan's half the movie, right? Everyone is an exposition device. <laughs> Everyone's an expo- exposition device. Yeah, I mean, even what that, that's his role as well, right? Aaron Taylor Johnson also does that only. He comes and he starts explaining everything. Oh, yeah, everyone explains everything except protagonist. He's the one. Yeah, where- because protagonist does not know is is us, right? And we know nothing. Yeah, it's like watching Inception, but like through the prism of Ariadne and not Cobb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who I ca- ca- kept calling Elliot Page because I had forgotten she was called Ariadne in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's not. Hmm, it's fine. Yeah, okay. but I think the other strange thing I find is that which we were talking about earlier uh, is that because the protagonist has like no backstory or emotional connect, and that's given to like Elizabeth Debicki's character, right? Cat. I'm like, I don't care about. Like almost the movie be from like her point of view then, because that's the only character we have a literary and emotional investment in. Otherwise, no one really else matters if they die. I'm like, cool, you died. Okay. Yeah, but no, like yeah, like in true Nolan fashion, he can't write women. Yeah, like I mean, I I would love to see a normal movie where like a woman is the protagonist and. If he did not have women in his film, that would be better than actually having women and like writing them half-heartedly, which is the problem that he keeps ma- he, he keeps making this mistake. You know, like I no, don't. He, want- he tries his best, right? He always tries his best <laughs> to make sure there are no women in his movie. He basically just kills them from the beginning. He's like, "Bo already mar chuke Have fun. <laughs> like either. Literally every movie, like Dunkirk. To yeah, yeah, Dunkirk was his movie. That what you just spoke about, that's Dunkirk, right? No need for women. World War II. And perfect. Like, you don't complain then. It's fine. Yeah, you can't complain. You're like, huh, they weren't allowed to go in World War II, so he can't show them. Otherwise, like, yeah, Interstellar, like, the wife is dead. My- Matthew McConaughey's character, right? Inception, my wife is dead. Dark Nightmare, like, Rachel is there in Batman Begins, and then Dark Nightmare, it's, like, she's dead. It's just like, yeah, whenever he gets a chance, he's like, kills them, but, like, doesn't include them from the beginning. That's Nolan. I think that's, that's probably, like, his biggest weak spot in terms of narr- narrative, I think. Yeah, the fact um, that he can't write an entire gender that's just disappointing maybe he's just very 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 much in love with his wife and afraid of losing her <laughs> this, is, this is his way of like existential like dread over losing his wife like which is see his wife is like a very uh, prominent creative partner of his right which is yeah. that always strikes me as weird is like why isn't she like nudging him like uh, Chris this, this needs to be fleshed out a little bit more you know <laughs> I think she doesn't basically letting him have like full control. Like she's not interfering in the narrative department clearly. She's not doing the Alma Hitchcock uh, job. Yeah. That. Anyway, I guess we should close on. Do Should people really risk going to theater for a tenant? Not really. I mean, I wouldn't risk going to the theaters for anything. Yeah. And this is weird because I remember when Dunker came out, I made it a point to go and watch it in IMAX and just do my best to kind of catch it in theaters. I mean, yeah, I would have done the same thing if we, mm. like, there wasn't this thing called a virus roaming around. So, it's not even that, it's not, un, like, missable, right? That you have to. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? Like, you can be e- easily wait for this. To, like. Although it might affect the viewing experience. 
I mean, I've been reading all those comments about how uh, the opening action scene, especially the entire auditorium, like vibrates with like Ludwig Göransson's so score. I, I have already experienced because Tenet ka prologue aaya tha na uh, with Birds of Prey. Yeah, so when that was the last proper movie that released, right in February before lockdowns happened. Oh yes. So Birds of Prey, when I saw it on IMAX, they had the Tenet prologue, which is the opening scene is the prologue. That's what Net- Nolan keep has been doing for a. forever now yeah so yeah i mean i don't remember the orton was shaking but yeah it definitely was an experience though no fun mine was cut midway through because the screening was late birds of prey so this oh, is God. abruptly paused the tenet thing <laughs> that's the worst and i mean that's the other thing like i mean i really enjoy it like keep talking about theatrical experiences but in india like you go for tenet then they'll give you an interval in the middle and you feel like punching someone they'll give you an interval they'll be like manik chand ka ad they'll be like virat and exactly. ka selling no that to then i i literally the moment they give interval i go out because i just want to like keep the movie in my head i don't want to like ads to get into my head hmm. uh but yeah that's just it's an indian thing that you cannot get rid of we, i mean this will probably be re-released in some way or another uh on that's what, i was gonna say that i feel like yeah that'll happen like once the vaccine comes around like and they'll be like Or at least, like when Nolan makes his next movie, they'll really release this one. Hmm. Abhi bhi all the IMAX screenings are just Inception and Dark Knight and stuff like that. If you like, yeah. Going. And then Wonder Woman will join them next week. But hmm. yeah, I mean after that, there's nothing, right? IMAX clearly like the next IMAX movie is like I think like May, Black Widow or something. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess wait it out. Yeah, it's gonna keep playing around. Okay then, time to move on to news. What are we talking about? Uh, mouse house, right? They went ballistic and crazy last week. Announced, well, I don't know. I don't even have a number on this. I'm assuming it was like around more than fifty at least. At least fifty. Like the insane, yeah. So where do you want to begin? I mean, thus, thus, so Star Wars and Marvel, yeah, another twenty to go. Yeah, so I guess that's what most people will care about or like be watching. So I guess we should start there. So I think they've taken the opposite route. Uh, from what Warner's did, Warner's basically took all the content that they had, and they were like, "We'll put it online." And Disney was like, "We'll just create more online content, right?" <laughs> yeah, because like, see, Marvel, like, until now, Warner has like announced, I think, just two DC series, right? They have the Peacemaker with uh, John Cena, which is like Suicide Squad spinoff, and then they have that Batman uh, spinoff for the Gotham City Police Department. Hmm. That's two. Literally, I can think of like I can name them so quickly. Hmm. DC, like Marvel, HBO Max has two in total. Marvel just announced like three more or five more like in one day. Yeah, and the HBO Max shows were all like retroactive like ideas. They were like, "Ooh, this seems interesting. Let's just pair it up with like more like a TV show." Yeah, like the we say maybe Dune ka bhi chal raha hai. I think uska bhi kuch shorona Karnataka hua tha. Whatever. Uh, but yeah, that's like another one more. Like one more is nothing for Disney. Like Disney makes like three more every time. Like you, oh you, they make TV. Shows out of TV shows, right? Like Mandalorian <laughs> is getting two more. Uh, it's like, oh, ah- Ahsoka came in one episode, and now she has an entire show for herself. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, then. Uh, and then Lando has a show. Like, who? They haven't even announced who's coming. Like, do we? Are we gonna get a third actor to play Lando? What is happening with that one? Yeah, I mean, I'd be really surprised if. I mean, I can. Th- I think they can afford to just get whoever they want. But I would be surprised if Donald Glover comes back. I mean, knowing Disney, they'll probably get Donald Glover. And uh, what's his name? Both to appear in the show. Yeah, I guess. I mean, depends on what. Like, to be honest, we don't even know where it's set. Hmm. So I guess it's too early to discuss this. But like, if they already had like everyone else on board, like why didn't they announce Don Glover? It seems to me that Glover has already said no. I feel like possibly. But you know what? They, Disney always gets me in the end. You know, like yeah. it's consumerism. They, they, they find like, their way. Huh, I like, mean, they've they've 
Like we've been waiting on this for a year, right? But they've paid so much money to get Iron Man for Black Widow, right? He has some cameo in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So like they always do normally get there. I think they have very good convincing power. Clearly, Kevin Feige is an expert negotiator. Huh. It's just endless, like deep pockets. But also, you know, just watching the new Mandalorian season, I'm like, just do whatever you want. It's just b- so brilliant this new season of Mandalorian. What do you think of the Mandalorian? Though? Like, yeah, I've mostly been enjoying it. I've so been writing good. every episode about it, um, except for one episode. The the one I didn't enjoy was that ice cave one otherwise all the other episodes i've really enjoyed yeah that's the thing like i i at this point i trust favro and Ferroni to like you know produce like good work it's just like i'm i hope that they're not stretched too thin hmm. if they're making mandalorian and they're making ahsoka and then what's the third one called rangers or something of new republic or something right <laughs> something and uh the obi-wan thing has like a newcomer Oh, at the helm. Yeah. Yeah, they've changed that. They entirely changed it. Like this, I think they screw, threw out every script and then they got a new person in. Hmm. And the new person basically, I don't know who wrote it because that's not even mentioned right now. Uh, But the director is basically from The Mandalorian. So basically like that show has been so su- successful for them that hmm. they're now trusting those people to make everything for them basically. Ha, the Mandalorian is functioning as it's incredible actually what The Man- Mandalorian has achieved. You know, it's so engaging storytelling on another level but it's also functioning as like sneaky backdoor pilots for like characters yeah. and crew and surprising thing is that like it's basically like turned a franchise that was uh theater only for 40 years suddenly into a franchise that seems more promising on tv like who would have thought uh, thought that when so the force awakens appeared uh speaking of uh patty jenkins uh got a movie yeah that i mean it seems exciting for to me for the part where they keep like hamping upon the fact that it's apparently in a future era of the galaxy uh and i wonder how much that's gonna change in terms of like what we'll see in terms of tech because star wars has always been this like old clunky thing right in terms of because it was like made in the 80s hmm. and now we have to stick with that aesthetic we're stuck with these stupid ideas called 8080 walkers and all that nonsense which makes no sense from a practical standpoint to actually make it in terms of weapons hmm. so now that they're saying that this is in the future of the galaxy and not the same timeline as the skywalker uh, era sorry saga um it's really interesting to see that if they can spruce up the text in some ways yeah but that was part of the charm of star wars as well right because it's yeah, all it was thing. that was it, it felt like oh this is like from a galaxy long time ago you know like this is a fantasy yeah. world and like a part of me is disappointed that uh, ryan johnson has been like just brushed under Side the line. rug huh like it's it's a movie trilogy is not even mentioned in the entire like programming sheet which is insane like considering everything is mentioned there I think I still believe that the naysayers are just like a vocal minority yeah like majority of the people actually enjoy that movie it's uh, it's sad basically it's just like they're going by what uh, you know what Twitter is saying which is which is sad yeah what else Marvel yeah what was the new ones? There was... There is a Samuel L. Jackson uh, and... Oh, right. Secret Envision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's gonna... Basically, the Captain... It's like a Captain Marvel spin-off. Actually, in a way, we have like... Yeah, that is a Captain Marvel spin-off entirely. Um, because it's got, got the other... Ben Mendelsohn as well from... Captain the Marvel. best thing about Captain Marvel, in my opinion, Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. Forgettable movie. I don't remember anything about that movie except Ben Mendelsohn's Australian accent. <laughs> and then we also have a potential Iron Man replacement in Iron Heart. Mm-hmm. So it seems like they're, I mean, that's what they're doing, right? There's, in a way, it's just like, we're talking about backdoor pilots, but like mm-hmm. these TV shows are in a way like backdoor entries to the Marvel Universe now. Um, that you get a TV show and then you come in the movies. It's like conducting a focus group, but like on a $150 million budget. Yeah, which is insane because like, and only like Disney can afford these kind of things. <laughs> 
What else? Actually, like, speaking of movies, yeah, Fantastic Four, right? That's the big one. Yeah, but John Watts, like I know that he's a uh, tried and uh, trusted uh, hand by now. But uh, like, yeah, I, I think wonder... he's, he's basically got got gotten in for that, right? The fact that what you you just mentioned, hmm. what will matter a lot more, I think, is who writes it. That will, but knowing Marvel, they'll probably have like fifteen in-house writers to so, like uh... yeah committee. Like yeah, team of fifteen will write it, and then four people will get credit or something. Four people will get credit based on whoever Kevin Feige like smiled at that morning, and uh, basically yeah. No, based on like also that they'll be like, "Ha, tumhe yahan yahan milega is movie pe." Baaki sabko we'll give it on some other movie. Yeah, like a television show, no? Like a writers' room. Yeah, and uh, given now they have like there's so many projects they can easily like distribute the writer credits as well. I'm sure. I mean, see, this is one of those meat production kind of things, right? You as long as you don't know how where your meat's coming. From and I'm vegetarian, so I'm just analogy doesn't. So <laughs> as long as you don't know how your Marvel movie is made, it's fine. Like I like to think that there is some like a like a vision behind these movies. Uh, but clearly it's like a computer just churning them out. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, every time someone talks about vision with a Marvel movie, like it's like the director is normally thrown out. <laughs> like that's what happened with Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright with Ant Man hmm. and Patty Jenkins was left, left. Like I mean, she's finally de- coming back to Disney and doing like Star Wars, but hmm. she. left thor to once upon a time famously eva duvernay quit uh, black panther yeah exactly so imagine dude i mean that's just insane though losing eva duvernay and getting ryan coogler it's like oh great like you didn't lose anything basically yeah they lucked out over there yeah which like they mentioned as well that they're not going to recast tachala which basically at this point means that letitia right character has to be in a way the leading role i don't see what else can they can do with that movie. unless she like tweets about anti vax vaccinations <laughs> yeah <laughs> if she do, does that again too many times then they will fire her temporarily and then get her back because that's what they did with James Gunn which is weird that Feige didn't know this before because uh that Letitia right was an anti-vaxer because he's supposed to be a very very good like background checker hmm. and he does like thorough he's like a mafia don he does like thorough background checks on everyone who's in who's like on the shortlist you know of like a marvel uh, job which is why he's like uh, i mean it's pretty obvious but which is why he like uh, did not agree to hire shia labuf for like multiple roles because mm. he knew that nahi nahi hoga abhi nahi to later something is going to come up and then finally it blew up the sea colony right that uh, accusation oh yeah terrible Okay, that's all for this episode of the Long Take. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can find us at the Long Take Pod on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. You can write to us at the Long Take Pod at Gmail dot com. Uh, wherever you listen to this episode, please leave us a rating and a review, and we will see you next week.